And turn to the book of Luke in chapter number 19. The book of Luke in chapter number 19. And tonight I'd like to begin from verse number one. And what a privilege it is to be at Crossroads Baptist Church again. And I praise God for your testimony for Christ and your love for the word of God. And, and uh, my, I recognize little difficult times for a church. And, and if I just encourage you tonight just to stay close to the Lord. You know, there's never a time where we can afford to get away from the Lord. Never, of course. And yet at times like this for a church, your church needs you to stay close to him. And your church needs you to make sure you're on praying ground. And uh, this, uh, this is, a, you, know, you know God's got a great plan. He's got something in store for Crossroads Baptist Church. However, that doesn't automatically mean everything's going to work out. Uh, the God of the Bible has given us Timothy. He's given us Titus. There are not suggestions as to what the next pastor needs to be like. There are, there are standards in the word of God. And, and a church that violates those standards, they end up paying a price. It's an, it's an error to think it's all going to work out. It isn't if we're not going to keep praying and keep seeking him and, and keep searching the word of God and pleading with God. Uh, at this time, God's got some great things in store for Crossroads Baptist Church, but it is desperate that God's people stay close to him and, and they keep short accounts and confessing sin and you keep your, keep your heart on praying ground. My God, God can work and God desires to work and Crossroads Baptist Church is his church. Yet so many churches have turned and gone a different direction when they get to a vulnerable spot like you folks are. We, of course, they'll be praying for the church and, and trusting God gives you perfect leadership, perfect wisdom, perfect unity as the days go by and, and I'm just excited to see what God has as you stay close to him and seek the will of God in your next pastor. You have your Bible tonight to the book of Luke in chapter number 19. It was a few days earlier that Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan River. We call it today the land of Jordan. And, and there in Luke 18, Jesus has an appointment with a man called in the Bible a rich young ruler. Now, we hear that in America in 2023 and we're not impressed. Rich young ruler. After all, if somebody's 30 years old and they haven't made their first million, you know, what's your problem nowadays? And, and rich young people seem to be everywhere. And then young rulers. They seem to be everywhere. So you and I are not so impressed with the phrase rich young ruler. But in Israel 2,000 years ago, this is unheard of. I mean, number one, the rich people were only those who had a lifetime to show for it. They had plenty of gray hair and plenty of backaches. They had plenty of hard work going into their wealth. And even more importantly, the only way, the only way you could be a ruler is if you were an elder so when we come to this rich young ruler in Luke 18, this is extraordinary. And in fact, do you know what most people are thinking? Do you know what the disciples are thinking? As Jesus meets this rich young ruler, could I, could I go there? Could I use the word? They think that guy is blessed. I mean, if you are rich, you are blessed of God. And if you're a ruler, you are blessed of God. The disciples are looking at this guy thinking if there's anybody that has ever been blessed of God, it is this rich young ruler. And you know, the thinking is almost if anybody is saved, that guy is saved. The Lord Jesus entertains the discussion and a few minutes later, Jesus does what Jesus does so perfectly. I mean, he's, he's so good. Well, what would you expect? But, but he brings this guy to the place where, sir, you have a choice to make. Mr. Rich Young Ruler, you can either trust your riches 
or you can trust the Savior, but you can't trust both. And the Bible tells us the man went away sorrowful because he had great riches. In other words, instead of I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold, the Lord Jesus brings him to the place of choice and he walks away singing, I'd rather have silver and gold than Jesus. And I don't know if we can appreciate how stunned the disciples are. You know, they are looking at Mr. Automatic. They are looking at Mr. Blessed. And Mr. Blessed just walked away unsaved. And, and the disciples look at each other and hanging in the air before you come to Luke chapter 19 is a little question. If that guy's not saved, who then can be saved? I think the disciples are looking at you. You've got to be kidding me. We thought that guy was blessed. We thought that guy, could I say, prospered. We thought that guy had it all. And you mean to tell me that guy's not saved? If Mr. Blessed isn't saved, who then can be saved? Now, I don't know if Jesus is laughing on the outside. He may have been laughing on the inside. And we come to Luke chapter 19, and Jesus is about ready to say to the disciples, watch this. If you're able physically, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to Luke chapter 19 and verse number 1. And remember the question is hanging in the air now. The disciples are stunned. Who then can be saved? If Mr. Blessed isn't saved, who then can be saved? And in Luke 19 verse number 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And here's this great, great Bible word. I love this word. And behold. You know, the word behold, sometimes you read it as the word lo. It's pretty much the Bible way of saying, you're not going to believe what happens now. It's God's way of saying, fasten your seatbelt because here we go. And sure enough, the Lord doesn't disappoint us in verse number two, uh, where the Bible says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And what do you know? And he was. The disciples watch Mr. Rich Man walk away saying, if that guy's not saved, who then can be saved? Jesus is about ready to stand under a sycamore tree and say, watch this. Lord, help us tonight as we come to the Bible. And I pray in this special moment in time in the history of Crossroads Baptist Church that the word of God would be a tremendous blessing and a great encouragement to your people. Lord, I pray you'd give them the faith to trust you. I pray you'd give them a heart to see their neighbors and loved ones saved. Dear God, would you please do the work in our hearts tonight that you did in the hearts of your disciples those many years ago. I come in the great name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. The Lord Jesus is 18 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. More importantly, he is seven, perhaps eight. There's no way it could have been six days away from dying on a cross for you and for me. I mean, a week later, Jesus is going to be hanging upon Calvary, shedding his royal blood for your sins and my sins. This is going to be the final story we read about before Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. The next thing you know, they'll be waving the palm branches, throwing their coats in the way. The next thing you hear is Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, by my count, and when I study a book like Luke or any book, I, I like to keep a number of different lists. And, and when you get a book like Luke, you can have some pretty long lists. One of them that I kept, and you'd certainly come up with a different number than I did, but I trace you the book of Luke, the lessons that Jesus taught his disciple. Well, as you come to Luke chapter 19, again, this is just one guy's count, I have 80 different lessons that Jesus pours into his disciples 
and yet they are in desperate need of lesson number 81. Because the disciples are looking at each other, they are dumbfounded. If Mr. Blessed, if Mr. Automatic, if that guy is not saved, well, who then can be saved? So the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse number one, entered and passed through Jericho. We read that with our American eyes and we yawn a little bit and say, well, that's nice because after all, some of you I'm sure live in Columbus, but everybody else, you had to enter and pass through some town or, or some small southern little village. You had to go through something to get here tonight. And for us to jump in a car and drive through this town, that town, this city, that city, it, it pretty much is nothing to us. So we read verse number one with a yawn. But you know what we miss with our American eyes is that Jesus just offended the entire city. You see, the Middle East today, but even more so 2,000 years ago, was a place where hospitality was incredibly important. And when a important person like Jesus comes to a city like Jericho, well, there is protocol. I mean, you are expected to meet with the politicians and expected to meet with the big-time rich people. And, and, of course, you are expected to meet with the, what I call the religious establishment. And by now... Jesus and the religious establishment, they just didn't get along too well. I mean, you know, I don't know why for sure. Maybe because Jesus looked at him and said, you're a bunch of hypocrites a bunch of times. And, and because Jesus exposed their secret sin, that could have had something to do with it. But, but, you know, Jesus and religion, they never got along. And now when he comes to a city like Jericho, it is expected you're going to meet with the important people. And, and, you know, they had quite the custom. Somebody would open up their courtyard and they had a specially built table that was low to the ground. And it was expected that the guest of honor would come and, and and take the seat of honor at the table and the important people would join him while the nobodies would be invited to come into the courtyard and in a day when I guess they didn't have much entertainment the nobodies would watch the somebodies eat and it was all just this grand performance so it is expected that Jesus will receive the hospitality of Jericho. But the Bible says that he enters and he passed right through Jericho. Because on the other edge of the city, and we know it was outside of the city limits because sycamore trees by law, they were not allowed in the city. So the Lord Jesus enters and passes through Jericho because the most unlikely thing is about ready to happen. Jesus has an appointment with a guy named Zacchaeus. I don't know in all of the Bible if you could find a man that was more poorly named than Zacchaeus. The name Zacchaeus means to be a just man. It means to be an innocent man. You know, I, I know where I'm at and what part of the world I'm at. Around here, he'd be a good old boy. That is what Zacchaeus' name means. He is innocent, just, and pure. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's anybody in the Bible who is not innocent, just, and pure, it would have been Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a dirty crook. And the Bible tells us in verse number two, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus and notice the problem. He was chief among the publicans. Well, that explains it. Zacchaeus was a publican and there were very few forms of humanity in Israel that were lower than publicans. In fact, those religious teachers I mentioned, they were the ones in the first century that were telling the citizens of Israel, so long as you have Abraham's blood in your veins, so long as you're Jewish, you're going to heaven unless you do three things, one of three things. Number one, if you murder somebody, you're in trouble. Number two, if you rob or steal, you're in trouble. And number three, if you're a publican, you're in big trouble. 
publicans. They kicked them right out of the synagogues. You know, we say an American attitude. Well, tough, get kicked out of this. That means you just lost your friends. That means your family just turned against you. That means you have nothing. Publicans weren't even allowed to testify in court. They were despised. They were disrespected with good reason because the publicans were tax collectors. And if you work for the IRS, hey, what can I tell you? We love you. We're commanded to. No, 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 no. No, if you work for the IRS, it's okay. This well, may not be okay, but it's a little bit different here. You see, this wasn't just collecting taxes for the local IRS. The problem with publicans is they would collect taxes, and the taxes, everybody, of course, got their cut. But ultimately, the tax money made its way to the hated Roman Empire to the control of the despised Roman emperor. If you were a publican, it's not just you collected taxes. If you were a publican, you collected taxes for Rome. You were a traitor. You were a turncoat. I mean, in the first century, it'd be hard to find anybody that was more despised than the publicans. And you know, in a city like Jericho, they love taxes. Well, you think you're talking about California or something. I mean, they had tax booths when you entered the city, when you left the city. They, they had two major roads in Jericho and they figured out how to set up, set up toll stations on the roads. I mean, they hated it. And the Jewish people despised the publicans. In fact, there's only one thing worse than being a publican. That would be if you were the chief publican. The chief publican. The Roman Empire would come to a city like Jericho and basically they'd get the rich businessmen together and they'd hold an auction. And the guy who won the business becomes the godfather of the business. The guy with the highest bid is the guy who gets the business. I mean, this was just an old-fashioned pyramid scheme. At the very top at the point was the Roman emperor. But right under the Roman emperor would have been the chief publican. And underneath the chief publican would be the rest of the publicans, in other words. Every one of those coins that are collected at the tax booths, every one of those coins that are siphoned from the people, they find their way ultimately to the Roman emperor through the pocket of Zacchaeus. Ladies and gentlemen, Zacchaeus is the dirtiest scoundrel in town. If they had a post office back then, you'd see his picture hanging on the wall. Nobody likes this guy. Everybody despises him. You are looking at not just a publican. You are looking at the chief publican. So at the end of verse number two, when the Bible tells us it really goes without saying, and he was rich, well, of course he was. If you're picturing Scrooge, sitting there counting his coins while everybody hates him and he hates everybody, then you probably have the idea of Zacchaeus. He may have been a wealthy man and he certainly was a rich man, but he had to be an awfully lonely man. But you know, there's one other thing about Zacchaeus, isn't there? There could be somebody right here tonight. What brought you to this service is the exact same thing. The Bible tells us that in verse number three, Zacchaeus was seeking. He sought to see Jesus who he was. I've heard about this Jesus. I've heard about his miracles. I've heard about the things he's done, the words that he's spoken. And like everybody else in Israel, he wants to see Jesus who he was. Can these stories possibly be true? So Zacchaeus goes out to see Christ, but in verse number three, he's got two big problems. The first one is he could not see for the press because he was little of stature. 
A little statured man in the first century would be somebody under five feet tall. So that becomes the problem because everywhere Jesus goes, there's this massive crowd, a massive press of people. And as a short man, Zacchaeus cannot see over the crowd. So the natural thing then would be for Zacchaeus to elbow his way through the crowd. But that's not going to work either, is it? Because back then in Israel, every man, every man was packing. I was preaching in Connecticut last week. I had to explain what packing meant. They had no idea. However, I'm assuming in this part of North Carolina, you don't need any definitions. And the guy, every guy was packing. And what they were packing was a dagger about yay long, fit right there into the robe. And they would use that dagger against the wild dogs that would come after them, perhaps even a crook or a thief. So this becomes a problem. A little guy like Zacchaeus trying to mix it up with the crowd, well, it would be nothing for somebody to pull out that dagger and stick it right in the back of Zacchaeus. In a crowd like this, most likely nobody would ever know. And even if they did with somebody like Zacchaeus, nobody would ever care. So now here is Zacchaeus with a problem. I want to see him. I want to see him. He's here for a day. I want to see him. I can't see over the crowd, and I can't afford to mix it up with the crowd. So Zacchaeus comes up with a plan, and in verse number 4, and again, we read this with our American eyes, and what's the big deal? It says that he ran before. So he runs ahead to get in front of the crowd, and you and I read that and say, well, you know, every day, every morning, there's some old guy jogging down the street. Everywhere you look around, there's old guys running everywhere. Everywhere, and that may be true about America, but that is definitely not true 2,000 years ago in Israel. You know, once a guy hit a certain age and maybe got a little salt and pepper in his beard, you don't run anywhere. First, you don't run because of the appearance. You know, you just walk everywhere to let everybody know, you know how smart I am and I, I think everything through and there's no hurry with me. Old guys never ran. They didn't run because they wanted to give the appearance they were intelligent. And they didn't run for another very good reason. Because for a man in Bible times to run, he had to reach down and take his robe and stick it in his belt. And I don't care if you live then or now, here or there, old guys shouldn't be showing anybody their knees. I mean, there should be a rule against this. And so old men in the Bible, they just never ran. They always walked. They always walked slowly. You just don't run. It was scandalous to run. It was shameful and humiliating to run. And when you know that, it changes the entire story of Luke 15. Because when that father was waiting for his son, he's waiting for his son, and, and now all of a sudden coming over the hill, I, you know, that could be, that, yeah, that's my boy. And the Bible says that he ran after his son. And we look at that with our American eyes. Well, he couldn't wait to see him. He couldn't wait to throw his arms around his boy, and perhaps that's part of it. But there's something far more important. At every gate of every city, there are the elders and if someone has shamed their family and shamed their village, should they ever return home? And that younger son, did he ever shame his village? Should he ever return back to the village, they would meet him at the gates and the elders would begin what was called the Kazaza ceremony. A Kazaza ceremony was humiliating. They would rebuke the boy. They might even beat the boy. Children would throw things at the boy. For that boy to return home meant that he was going to be shamed and he was going to be disgraced and he would be humiliated. So when that, old, that father ran after his son, this wasn't just, I want to see my boy. I've got to get to the gate before my boy gets to the gate. And you can almost see that daddy running through the town and people are pointing at him and laughing at him and he took the shame and the humiliation so that his boy wouldn't have to. And now Zacchaeus does the same. 
He's willing to take the shame and the disgrace so that he can see Jesus. He runs ahead of the crowd. And then in verse number four, he climbed up into a sycamore tree for to see him, for he was to pass that way. And I don't care where you live or when you live. Old guys have no business climbing trees. This is not going to end well. So here is Zacchaeus, and, and their sycamores are a little different than the American sycamores. There's a big, strong branch to hold a man, but maybe more importantly, there are big, wide leaves to hide a man. And you certainly get the idea Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He just didn't want to be sure Jesus didn't see him. Could have asked Adam and Eve how that was going to turn out. And sure enough, right on schedule and right on time, in verse number 5, and when Jesus was come to the place. You know, that, that kind of phrase in the Bible, just so powerful. You know, sometimes it reads in the Bible and it came to pass. Hey, we just take it for granted. You got to move through the story. But you know, when it says Jesus came to the place, are we not reminded again that he is always in the exact right place? He is always there at the exact right time. Not a blast of hurry, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. No, at just the right place, at just the right spot, at just the right time, Jesus comes to the place. And you can imagine Jesus now walking over in a crowd, following Jesus every step. And, and all of a sudden, the people realize there's somebody up in that tree. And now everybody's looking and straining and who's that? And, and then the word goes through the camp. Zacchaeus is in the tree. You can just hear the snickering. You can hear it if you stick your ear to the Bible tonight. I mean, they're laughing and they're taunting. And what are you doing up in the tree, Zacchaeus? And when Jesus was come to the place, he looked up and saw him. Of course he did. Doesn't matter how thick the branches. Doesn't matter how wide the leaves. He looked up and saw him and said unto him, now, you know what he said, and I know what he said, and collectively, right, we have read this story and heard it thousands of times. But you know, when the story takes place, the people haven't read Luke 19 yet. And when Jesus comes and looks up and he's going to start talking, do you know what they are expecting? They're expecting Jesus to read him the riot act. Zacchaeus, you turncoat. Zacchaeus, you traitor. Zacchaeus, you need to repent. Zacchaeus, you need to get right with God. Zacchaeus, maybe one day I'll come back to this town, but if you don't get it together, you're in big. They are, they are expecting Jesus to hammer the guy. And yet they must have been awfully stunned when Jesus said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thine house. <laughs> you got, really? Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Today I must abide at thine house. You know what that word abide tells us? This is, in one level, Jesus inviting himself over for dinner. Uh, and that's Jesus. I mean, he does that kind of thing. But, but on a bigger level, Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you're my crowd. When you abide at somebody's house and you come to their house for dinner, it, it was the problem earlier in the chapter. When Jesus is abiding at his house, this is more than saying, Zacchaeus, what's on the menu today? This is more than Jesus saying, let's get a bite to eat. This is Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, you're my crowd. And that's after he entered and passed through the city and said, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, this is not the first time this happened. The stories of Luke chapter 15, the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin. You know where it all begins? It all begins with the religious establishment preparing a feast. Hey, you kind of get the idea, the fine linen. You get the idea, you know, the candles are lit. The fine china. I mean, you got the silverware is out. And, you know, you can almost smell and you can almost hear the sizzling prime rib. And then the Bible says that the publicans... And the sinners 
They're having lunch over here, you know, Happy Meals or something. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks at the fine dining religious establishment and says, not today, gentlemen. I have an appointment over here. And that's what set in motion the entire story of Luke 15 because Jesus, not only did he eat the, the, uh, the French fries, not only does he eat whatever's on the menu over here, more importantly, Jesus is saying, these people are my people. I, I don't play those religious games. I don't play the religious hypocrisy. He is saying, I am abiding here and dining here because this is my crowd. And that's what set the religious establishment fuming. And the Lord Jesus doesn't back down. He says, let me tell you about the lost sheep. And you're the crowd who couldn't care less about lost sheep. Let me tell you about the lady who lost her coin and lit the lamp and, and searched every crevice and everything. You don't care about lost coins. Let me tell you about the lost son. And you don't care about lost sons. You are the elder son with your nose stuck up in the air. And you're pouting and you have your little attitude while the world dies and goes to hell. Incredibly powerful. And now he does it again. He's passed through Jericho, thanks but no thanks, because underneath the sycamore tree, there's somebody who's my crowd. There's somebody that I need to spend time with. There's somebody that I want to be with. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thine house. And verse number six is beautiful, isn't it? I just love this. He made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. There you go. I, I mean... Zacchaeus shimmies down that tree, sitting on that branch. He is a child of the devil. His feet hit the ground. He's a child of God. Sitting on that branch, he's a lost man. Hitting the ground, he's a saved man. You know, I love these people. Come on, you know, before you get saved, you have to go through a nine-month course. You have to sit with our theologians and, and we're going to explain to you creationism and after we deal with that, we'll give you the nuances uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the fall and of course, we'll discuss from there the, the flood of Noah and after we deal with the flood of Noah, we'll talk about the Abrahamic covenants and, and from there, we'll deal with Moses and the law and, and you know, you got to sit in a class for nine months just to find out if you're one of the elected. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how long it took Zacchaeus to get saved However long it took him to shimmy down that tree, that's the answer. One minute he is lost and the next minute he's a child of God. What a glorious Savior. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You say, well, how do you know Zacchaeus got saved? How do I know? Because in verse number 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord. Now, now stood, you know, it could be two settings. It could be now we're at his house for dinner and he formally stands up to make an announcement. Or could it be he fell when he came out of the tree? I don't know. But either way, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Brother, this is what happens when you get saved. And only salvation can do this. But not only did Zacchaeus get saved, his wallet got saved. That's how you know this is real. He said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore it, not twice like the law says, fourfold. Brother, that is a man in Christ and Zacchaeus is so transformed and Zacchaeus is such a new person. The Lord has changed him from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet. I, the Lord got his wallet as well. Zacchaeus is a new man. And you know, this is one of those things, you can take it or leave it. It comes out of the history book and not the Bible. So, okay, you don't know for sure. But you know, decades later, 30 years later, when God gives the book of Luke, the words of Luke to Dr. Luke, and Luke is writing them down, in the northern part of Israel, there was a church that was pastored by a guy we would call Pastor Zacchaeus. And not far away, there was another church 
that was pastored by a pastor Bartimaeus. Now, is that the same Bartimaeus that you read about in this context? And is that the same Zacchaeus? You know, you can't say for sure. But, you know, for the Lord to save a guy, clean a guy up, change a guy, and call him to preach, that just kind of sounds kind of ordinary. That's just what the Lord does, doesn't he? So whether Zacchaeus becomes a pastor, like I think, well, he may have, because usually in the book of Luke, you know, there's a certain this, a certain that, a certain scribe, a certain rich man, everybody's certain something. Now we get some real names. That's rather unusual. And when you get real names, it could be the Lord saying through Luke's pen, over there, that pastor Zacchaeus, over there, that pastor Bartimaeus, let me tell you how they got saved. And if that happened, glory to God. If it didn't happen, glory to God. What we do know without any question, what we do know without any doubt is that when Zacchaeus fell out of that tree into the arms of Jesus, he was a transformed man. He was an entirely new person. You come to Luke 19.1 and there's a question hanging in the air. If Mr. Blessed isn't saved, who then can be saved? That's the guy who automatically must be saved and he's not. Now you're standing under a sycamore tree and, and everybody's looking up at the one guy who can't get saved. He is so rotten, he can't. That guy will never get saved. And the next thing you know, the rich man walks away without Christ that Zacchaeus slides down the tree into the arms of the Savior. Because in just six, uh, seven, maybe eight, not six, short days, Jesus is going to be on a cross dying for the sins of the world. Three days later, he will he'll rise again. Forty days later, there's a mountain not too far from Jericho and on the east side of Jerusalem where Jesus will ascend into heaven. And the people sitting right in front of him, these disciples are going to be required to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they can't do it without Lesson 81. Lesson 81 that would be Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The disciples are looking at Mr. Automatic and he walks away unsaved. And they have a question. After three years, they have this question. Who then can be saved? So the Lord Jesus comes to a sycamore tree and up in that tree is Mr. Impossible. And the next thing you know, he's saved by the grace of God. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Lesson 81 is that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's a lesson that matters for you and for me. Because you know, when we first get saved, we get a passion, don't we, to see our neighbor get saved, our loved ones. Dad needs to get saved. My boy needs to get saved. My daughter, my brother, my sister. You know, we get a burden for our unsafe family, co-workers, maybe somebody you go to school with. And we get a burden for somebody who's lost. And, and new Christians have a way of building a prayer list. How come it's only the new Christians that got to... Maybe, maybe tonight the Lord wants some of us to blow some dust off a prayer list. And maybe it's especially a prayer list of people that we used to pray for to get saved. Because if the Lord can save Zacchaeus, you don't know anybody that the grace of God can't save. If the Lord could rescue that guy in his misery, there's nobody I've ever met that can't be saved. There's nobody. The grace of God has gone further than they've gone in their sin. The mercy of God is deeper than the worst of sinners. If Zacchaeus could get saved, you and I don't know anybody who can't get saved. 
And I wonder tonight if there's some of us that need to blow some dust off a prayer list and say, Lord, break my heart again. I used to pray and I used to ask the Lord. I used to weep over my loved ones and and pray over my dad and pray over my children and pray over my family. And and there was a time when my heart was broken. There was a time when I couldn't go to bed at night. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, burdened for my family members that aren't saved. And, And then, you know, as this Christian life turns into weeks and then into months and then to years, and some of us, right? decades it's awfully easy to get to the place where we lose that burden oh intellectually we know intellectually we know that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost of course he is and and, you know we long ago have rejected the tenets all of them of Calvinism and we know that the Lord is able to save and with burdened and broken hearts we know that he can save our loved ones but, but do we just get discouraged in the way Maybe we get wrapped up in other things that we forget the more important things. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now you're in a tough time as a church, but you know in a time like this, the Lord is still able to save men, ladies, and boys and girls in Columbus, North Carolina. It may be a hard time for a church, but the hand of God is not shortened. And in these days, the God of the Bible, like never before, he wants you and me as a people of God to get that fresh burden that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you know, if there's ever been a time where we ought to realize this country is lost, it's now. The words in the Bible are incredibly powerful, aren't they? Lost. Lost doesn't mean you're almost found. Lost means you're lost and there's nowhere to go and you don't know where to go. I mean, words in the Bible, like the wrath of God abideth on them. Everything in the Bible is so dark. It is so dreary for somebody who's not saved. And it's a desperate day. It is a desperate hour and if there's ever been a time when God's people needed to claim Luke 19.10, it's tonight. Who then can be saved? That question's just hanging in the air like the clouds. Who then can be saved? I thought Mr. Automatic was saved and he's not. Who then can be saved? Standing under a sycamore tree, Jesus says, that guy can get saved. And if Zacchaeus can be saved, maybe it's time for you and me to get that burden back. How long has it been since we found ourselves at an altar praying for our loved ones? Remember we used to do that? How, how long has it been that you couldn't walk out that door till you came here and you got down on your knees and you humbled yourself before God? No, no, no. In the old days, remember, we used to humble ourselves before God and bow the knee recognizing he is everything and I am the nothing. And if my dad will ever get saved, if my child will ever get saved, if my brother will ever get saved, it'll take a mighty work of God and I'm on my knees begging God to do that work. Maybe the prayer list needs to be dusted off. And maybe you and I need lesson number 81. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Before you put the story to bed, there's one other thing. Could I show you tonight? Back up if you would to verse number 7. See, the Lord wants this verse 7. Verse number 7, the Bible says when they saw it, Now, this is the crowd, the press of people. When they saw what Jesus did, when they saw that Jesus stood under that tree and had compassion on Zacchaeus, when they saw it, the Bible says they all murmured. You know, to us, the word murmur is kind of a thing where you keep it to yourself. But in the Bible, the word murmur was, the word is actually a noise people would make. And I'd love to do it for you, but I don't know how. But it was just this guttural noise. You know, it's just... 
I mean, in the Bible, when you murmured, in America, if you murmur, you know, outside of your wife, probably nobody knows. But in the Bible, when they murmured, everybody knew you were disgusted. And the Bible says, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Something incredibly important just happens. Something incredibly important. You see, in verse number six, all of the vitriol and all of the hatred and all of the venom is poured down on that little guy, Zacchaeus. But did you see what happened in verse number seven? Not only has Jesus taken the man's sins away, but he has also taken the shame and the disgrace. They are not murmuring anymore at Zacchaeus. They're murmuring at Jesus. A week later, could have been eight days, couldn't have been six. Jesus is hanging upon a cross. And you know and I know Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Nobody here tonight would stand up and say, I wonder if Jesus washed my sins away. No, we get that. We know the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. As far as the east is from the west, behind his back, blotted out, remembered no more. There are 20 different things the Bible says that Jesus does with our sins. Nobody here tonight would say, I'm saved, but I wonder if my sins are gone. But you know what a lot of Christians do? I know my sins are gone. I know my sins are gone. No problem there. But somehow they think they have to show the Lord how ashamed and humiliated they are about their sins. I can't believe I did that last. I can't believe I said that a month ago. I can't believe I did that when I was in high school. I can't believe this. I can't. No, no, no. I know my sins are gone. I know my sins are gone. But somehow we think it's a badge of honor that we carry the humiliation and the shame of our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, you know that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. We've got that. Christ washed my sins away. But you know, the same Isaiah 53, it says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That Jesus washes Zacchaeus' sins away is beautiful. But he not only took his sins away, he also took his shame. And on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus not only carries our sins in his body on the tree, but the shoulders of Jesus also carry the sorrows of our sins, the shame of our sins, the humiliation of our sins. And while we recognize that it'd be a pretty nasty thing, I say, I wonder if Jesus took all my sins away. Oh, no. We know they are G-O-N-E gone. But it's not just the sins. All the disgrace and all the humiliation and all the embarrassment, all the shame of your sins and mine, they're in his body on the tree. We're not going to walk out that door wondering if he took our sins away. And we're not supposed to walk out that door thinking we've got to every day show him how ashamed we are. The sins are gone. The sorrows are gone. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you know him as your Savior tonight? He came to seek and to save you. If he'd go after a guy like Zacchaeus, can you imagine? I mean, he would die on a cross for you and me, buried in the ground, he rose again. And if you're not saved tonight, the Lord Jesus is not a way to heaven. He is not one of many options. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. 
If you know the Lord is your Savior tonight, ladies and gentlemen, the same Jesus who carried our sins carries our sorrows. So now he says to his gentlemen disciples, you're looking at Mr. Automatic and you're stunned that he's not saved. And as he walks away, you're looking at each other saying, who then can be saved? The hardest case in Columbus, North Carolina can get saved. And so tonight, as a people of God, maybe it's a good time just to blow some dust off a prayer list. Lord Jesus, you still are in the business of saving sinners. Save my loved ones. Lord Jesus, I pray that even tonight you would do your work in our hearts and in our lives. And, and Lord, I pray for Crossroads Baptist Church. I pray that you just do a special work in these days. And, and Lord, as you bring your pastor to this place, may he come to a church of people that are burdened and broken and praying for their loved ones and their families and their neighbors. Lord, for young people, may they get a burden for their friends. Lord Jesus, may this church be infused with the, 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 the understanding and the conviction that Jesus came to seek and to save. Lord, I'm asking that tonight, even at this altar, some prayer lists would be restarted. Some burdens would be enjoined. Lord, would you do in this place what a preacher can't do? I wonder before I finish praying if there might be someone who'd say, you know, preacher, I need to be saved. And don't know according to the Bible that Jesus Christ is my Savior, but I am concerned about my soul. And tonight, I want to know how the Bible says that Jesus Christ can be my Savior. I'd love to pray for you tonight, and then we'd love to open the Word of God and right from the Bible show you how God says a sinner can know they have eternal life. What else could Jesus do? He came to seek and to save you. Do you know him tonight? I wonder if there's a man, lady, it could be a boy or girl, young person who'd say, I am the one who needs the Savior tonight. Please pray for me. Help me from the Bible. Would you just raise your hand tonight? If you lift your hand, I'd love to pray for you. And, and if you let us tonight, we'd love to open the Bible and from God's word help you understand Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Is there somebody like that tonight? I'm going to pray and and then I'm going to ask that we play through a song of invitation tonight. And as we do, of course, if you're not saved, I'd like to invite you to come and we'd like to help you from God's word. But tonight the invitation is for a people of God. And, and if it's been a long time since you got on your knees and asked God to save your boy, your girl, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your grandfather, your neighbor, if it's been a long time since that old list was prayed over, then I'm going to invite you to come tonight and just to make an altar right here out of the front, the front step, the front seat, and, and just get along with the Lord and say, Lord, I need to be about the master's business. I'm pleading with you tonight. Break the heart of my loved one. Lord Jesus, you can save them. Tonight, if it's been a long, long time since your heart was broken for your loved ones, this is the night to change. Father, we give you the invitation and ask you to do a work in this place. Break our cold, stony heart tonight. Remind us that Jesus wept over a city of lost people. So I'm asking and I'm praying that the burden of Christ would be ours. Remind us you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Would you stand together with me, 